Hello, and welcome to an unexpected podcast. My name is Tim, and with me as always, we have Matt, Devin, and Engineer. Hey and this week's guest is Robert Cron. Fortunately, Mick couldn't be with us this week. I just want to let everyone know that we are starting to post on Apple Podcasts going forward. So if you'd rather just listen to us on there, you can. You can just search an unexpected podcast. Uh, on this week's episode, we're going to be going over magical powers that we'd like to see either revamped or just discuss a little bit about the magic powers themselves. Uh, and then we're going to go into a duel where I will be going up against Devin in a 654-point list because Rainier had hosted a tournament at 654 points called an unexpected tournament. So we thought it'd be fun that an unexpected podcast we do 654 points. Um, but to start off, uh, Matt, I know you had to talk about something real quick. Yeah. So I'm sorry, guys. I have to confess an infidelity. Uh uh, last night I went on another podcast, um, the Duran show, which is run by Matt Hammond and his brothers. Uh, the ones that were on were Mitchell and Marcus. I know there's a, there's another brother whose name also starts with M. Um, and, uh, we did a discussion about escalation tournaments because there is actually one coming up in North Carolina that these guys are planning to go to. And we talked about things to think about uh, when you're designing uh, a series of lists for an escalation tournament where an escalation tournament for those who haven't heard of the term it's one where you start small like at 450 points and then you get big so by the end of the tournament you've got you know an 800 and something point list uh, based on the one that you started when you were at 450 points so we talked through a bunch of different lists um, Anyway, it's a great show. Uh, the Duran Show is also a great show. It's, it's an audio podcast, so it's available on Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify and various other places where you can get uh, audio podcasts. So go ahead and check it out. Okay. Uh, guys, what do you think about the new books coming out recently that are coming out? You're talking about referring to the Quest of the Ring Bearer book. Uh, yeah, the Red Quest, yep. Is so a new guess- book coming out? <laughs> so for those of you who haven't heard there's actually a quest of the ring bear book coming out and actually as of the uh airing of this video it would be coming out like the next weekend um so you know uh, i guess from what i'm understanding games workshop hasn't released a whole lot on it but it seems to cover five legendary legions from uh frodo's adventures uh from the shire to mountain doom and then also four new profiles at least that have been revealed so far um and i think the four new profiles are the two rangers which we discussed actually on the last podcast so we may not go over them but like then barleyman butterbur and i don't know his name does anyone harry know goatleaf harry goatleaf the guy harry goatleaf <laughs> So these were uh, two uh, my college <laughs> nickname. Yeah, I, I mean I can't tell you how many times I nearly got out of this hobby because that model wasn't available. So yeah, I'm really just over the moon now. You know what? Actually, it, it, I know you know sarcasm aside. Actually, there's a lot of players who were really happy about these two extremely random people like being introduced to the game. Uh, there, I, yeah. I saw on Facebook. It, it, I don't know. Rob. I, I, I jumped on the bandwagon with that. With, with that, like I saw the model and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it's gorgeous! I have to have that." And then I snapped into reality, like, "Wait, why do I need that?" <laughs> but I still want it, right? Well, you know, it's funny that I hadn't realized until I read some of the Warhammer community stuff, um, just because I, frankly, have been behind on my Harry Goatleaf knowledge. But um, <laughs> is Harry Goatleaf? Uh, uh, sided with Saruman um, and according to this, he can end up being taken in the Sharky's Rose army list or the chief's ruffians, legendary legion. So we've got another ruffian hero. 
This yes. one with a lamp. <laughs> yeah. So and, uh, hatred doors. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, what what are you guys kind of hoping from the legendary? League? Do you is there like specific rules you're kind of looking for, or? Well, I mean, I yeah. guess so. Just so everyone knows, of legendary legions, or at least five of them that we know of have already been revealed, um, and. I believe it's, it's, I may be wrong on this, but the, uh, there's one with a Balrog in it. Uh, is Scouts. Then there's one with, I assumably, just with the nine riders of the Ring Rays. Not, yep. it doesn't, it seems like it's the generic ones, not like the named ones. Um, and then, oh man, Akira Thungul. And, uh, adding guys if you think the fifth one i'm reading the article right now breaking oh. of the fellowship is the yeah, last breaking, one. breaking of the fellowship so favorite one that you're looking forward to i'm gonna pick kirith ungle for me well it's hard because that between that and the black riders um i'm real interested to see what they do with that i know that'd be so cool to see all the black riders on especially if they, you have them on horses as well that'd be really cool That'd be so cool. I, I'd, I'd say Kurathungle also, too. Like, I remember a few years back, Samir and I actually played Kurathungle theme at Nova at your tournament, and we were like, oh, this is super fun. But looking back, if we had some cool r- special rules for, like, a theme list like that, oh, that would be so cool. It'd be hilarious. Like, like, a, he- like a head count, you know, like Gimli and Legolas. You know how they have mm-hmm. – that like have that oh, you like between Shagrat. um Shagrat. Corbag and Shagrat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be so fun. Right. I'm actually... on two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a half of a kill. It'd be funny if there was I'm not sure how competitive this would be, but it'd be funny if like there was something that made the whole like legions just start fighting each other, but I think they'll add that for game balance. You have a Den- you have a Denethor rule where like you, if you don't roll a certain they all start attacking each we'll other. Just start beating the hell out of each other. <laughs> Plus one to wound, just slaughtering each other. If if Gorbag out kills Shagrat the next turn, you get like plus one to wound. For that character, wow, Ooh, that would actually be cool. Them, yeah, yeah, like duel each other. But instead so like, of the so, duel between the 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 characters, maybe do it between the Urukai and the Orcs. Yeah, if the Urukai have more kills, the Orcs get a plus one to wound, vice versa. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be interesting. That'd be across the whole faction. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if one's out score, out killing the other, then the other group gets plus one. So you you really want your Orcs to out kill your Urukai so that they're strength four plus one to wound. So I guess. Uh, I mean, other than that, there's the Black Riders, which, God, if I know what they'll do with that. Um, how do you? I mean, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how they make them viable. But not not only. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but who doesn't want to take all nine ring rates? Like oh, most of the time, so you just cool. take like one or two, maybe three. But I mean, to have all nine—that's so cool. Like that. like mount, mounted plane storm the camp, and you just see like nine ring race in a V shape <laughs> <laughs> coming towards the camp. You know what's interesting <laughs> is that if they did kind of like a uh, like a Frodo rule, where they make it harder for them to be charged by like the distance they are away from them, kind of a thing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So it makes it really difficult. So like only they they charge in when they want to, kind of a thing. And maybe I, this. I don't know if you can give them this because it would make them a little bit strong, but again, you're just taking the nine models. So maybe they do need this, which maybe you take like, if they get into combat, they don't lose will unless they lose the fight kind of a thing. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to do something like that to make them viable in a, in a tournament context Um, or else against a horde army, they're just going to, you know, kind of dissipate from sheer numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and and that's the problem. With only nine of them, I think they need that kind of rule where they, as long as they win the fight, they don't lose any will. What what what, what about a rule like uh, if they're together in still fear? Turns out instead of backing up three inches, the model just runs away. And it's so just yeah, yeah, that might. I mean, I, I'm sure that they're going to have the cry of the Nazgul rule. And oh, I, I, mean, I can't remember how that used to work in the scenarios, but it makes like for one turn, it makes courage tests really hard to pass. If they don't mm-hmm. put the screech in the game, th- yeah. for, for the episode today, yeah, we're talking about too. magic that should exist in well, the game. It doesn't. Yeah, they have to have the screech. Well, Instill yeah. Fear kind of now acts as that. So. But I feel like, I feel like Instill Fear. Sorry. Just looking at the Warhammer community article, they literally write. Each ring wraith can unleash the terrifying screech of the Nazgul, so it's definitely in there. It's just what it does. We don't. There you know. go. We oh, predicted yes. that, by the way, before we read it. No. <laughs> so, you, so you can actually like get them in chorus. So you can, ha- if you get all nine of them, it's like turn one, this guy screeches. Turn two, this guy screeches. <laughs> Great concert. Yeah. Yeah, you can model like uh, the Witch King to be the conductor and then like give them all like opera voices and stuff like that. Well, I, I think what you do is you take like nine glasses of water that you fill to like nine different levels and you have like your little, uh, your little tine where you go ding and that's, you know, your cry of, that's the first cry of the Nazgul and you, then you take the water away and then you hit the next one and then. <laughs> and, and then you look up and your opponent left 20 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You, you auto win tournaments just because nobody wants to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you wait till you get on an objective before you go and you fill all those classes with water. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with the new books? I mean, obviously, we'll probably do an episode clearly devoted to the book, so we won't go into huge detail. I think the only other thing, which is more of a concern than anything, is um, uh, I, I'm a person who does not like the balrog profile like at all i feel like a fight 10 defense nine i think the 10 wound monster that's like basically magic immune probably shouldn't exist um (laughs) (laughs) i really want that profile to be rewritten uh i wish it kind of didn't exist previous to this edition because i don't think it would have turned out the way it is if it was Mm -hmm. just written from scratch having an entire legion devoted to it i I'm curious on what that I mean. That, that's right, so, it's going to become that situation though, where like with Gothmog, like you'll never. I don't. I don't think a lot of people take Gothmog outside of his legion. Whereas now you won't take really Moria without taking or, or, or the uh, the Theoden's legion. I'm sorry, or like oh, yeah. you would always take the Theoden's legion most times. I think, um, but now it'll be that for Moria, where like most of the time you're going to take a Balrog. There's Moria there's pl- there's plenty to do in Moria that doesn't involve the Balrog. You know. Watcher in the water, um, but uh, the I mean, I, I'm not quite sure how you do a Lord of the Rings strategy battle game without a Balrog in it. I mean, mm. it's kind of like trying to do a Hobbit strategy battle no, game. No, no, no. I don't. I don't mean have the Balrog not in the game. What I'm saying is that um, the the Balrog is one of the first profiles ever written, and I think it it I think it could have used some more tweaking in the sense of the rules, in my opinion, to make it more fun. Keep in mind, it is powerful. It represents what oh, okay. it does in the movies. You see it and you're like, what do I, you, you basically avoid it most of the game. Um, and you see so, it and you go, wait a minute, this is only like three <laughs> times bigger than Aragorn. Isn't that scary? So, so the effect it has, you know, in your mind when you see it is, is exactly what, you know, they probably intended. 
but my issue with it is that you do everything right against this thing. You heroic strike, do everything right, and you yeah. still have a 50-50 shot of just yeah. dying. Um, it, and it feels just like it takes forever to take it down. And the problem with models that take forever, like I use Sauron as an example, he doesn't take forever to take down. It is very clear and obvious how you can take him down, but he's still scary. You see him and you're like, that's a real threat. But he he doesn't remove the fun from the game. And in fact, they even added a narrative to him, um, you know, with his wounds and how it works and the breaking of it. But I mean, so I just wish they wrote the Balrog profile. And I have the same issue with Smaug, by the way. Hey, I, I have flash killed a Balrog. I don't know what you're doing wrong, Devin. <laughs> you flash killed. <laughs> I have actually flash killed a Balrog. <laughs> I, the, I, I guess the that's... Watcher, with the Watcher in the Water calling a heroic strength, a bat swarm, and a whole bunch of goblins. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about you guys, but like me personally, like and 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 like Darren said, nobody's saying we don't want the battle. I think the arguably the second coolest thing for me, at least in the movies, was the battle rock scene where like you just see him coming out of. I mean, that is such a cool scene in the movies where he just comes out of the fire and you just see him fighting Gandalf on the bridge. Like the Balrog is such a cool model. Yeah, no, he should exist. Like I am in no way at all implying it shouldn't be in the game. It should be you know, one of the most prominent things of the game. I just have concerns whenever you say Legion, mm -hmm. generally that means something's getting stronger. Yeah. And right. it, he's already strong. <laughs> like, so that he gets a free point of mind every turn. Like I said, I don't know, obviously, you know, I, you know, we don't know what it does, but like, it's, it's more like a, just in the back of my mind, like, Oh shit. Now, you know, he gets plus one to wound on everything. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's, or it's whatever. Kind of, it's kind of like the Rangers giving the Rangers those two new profiles. Exactly. It's like the Rangers yeah. were already powerful. Now it's like, oh, sweet. Let's, let's, let's give them more heroes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that make their shooting even better. So. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's give no, them 12 I mean, more I bows. <laughs> we'll I find the, out. The Balrog profile is already, like, strong enough on its own. So whatever the Legion does, I hope it doesn't focus on the Balrog itself, right? Like, mm -hmm. sure, have them in there, but why turbocharge something that's already turbocharged to begin with? So hopefully it does something more for the army than, like, the Balrog yeah. itself. Yeah. And yeah, I, that I, I can... I wonder if they're going to do... Because, I mean, the problem with the Balrog, right, is no might. So the Balrog kind of depends on having a bunch of you know, kind of captains and derbers running around it to, to call heroic moves or marches to get it where it needs to be. And, and I'm, I'm curious to see whether the Legion like doesn't, it, it becomes kind of entirely Balrog focused. So you have like Balrog with some sort of special ability and then just lots and lots of goblins. That would actually kind of be interesting to see. So you, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think it might be cool too. Like they can buff the Belrog, but downgrade the goblins. So like in the movie, the goblins were terrified of the Belrog. Like he popped up and they were all like, ah, and they skittered out like cockroaches. So maybe like give him a cool set of blaze rule or something within like an inch or two of him. Like whatever he's around just burns in flames, but also friendly and foe. Like everyone kind of runs away would be kind of cool. And it would be like a Belrog Legendary Legion instead of like a Moria Legendary Legion. And I'm totally on board with that because as of right now, everyone huddles all the goblins around this guy. Like they treat him like <laughs> yeah. a campfire. Well, <laughs> yeah. rules-wise, doesn't he actually make them braver? Which he, is yeah, he, he makes, he makes them fearless. Makes them fearless. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know not really what we saw in the in the movie anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
They literally all scattered and were like, nope, I'm out. Bye, Felicia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, We're going to move on to the list for today, and that is by Andrew D. So I'm going to bring over to Rainier real quick. So Rainier, what is this week's list? All right, let's see what Andrew brought. Ooh, so Andrew brought a 700-point Minister Earth and Fellowship list. Um, the makeup of it is 37 models, 14 might, and 5 bows. His take on it, for those viewers that are just listening to this through Apple Podcasts, his strength, he says, is heroic offensive output, solid troops in reasonable numbers, bodyguard. His weaknesses are magic, high defense, and deals with weaknesses by multiple threats and lances. So that's what he said his take on the army is. So the makeup of it also is Boromir of Gondor, Gondor, the fellowship version. He's equipped with a shield and horse. Then next comes uh, Faramir on horse with a lance, shield, and heavy armor. That is his general. And he's leading nine knights of Minas Tirith with shield and lance, I assume. And then the third warband is a captain of ministers with shield, leading 11 citadel guards, five with bow, and uh, and a warrior of ministers with banner, shield, and spear. The fourth warband is Ingold, leading 12 warriors of ministers, seven with spear and shield, and five with shield. So, you guys want me to start with what I think about it? Sure, why not? Go for it. Okay, yeah. For starters, I really like the theme. I'm really big into theme, and I can tell uh, right off the bat, Andrew, I, I, I would assume he's making a list that would be defending Osgiliath or the Outer Regions from the War of the Ring when Boromir was there. Um, I like it a lot theme-wise. Uh, there are some things that I think you could do to make it a little more competitive, and that is... a. a what we usually say is mixing your war bands up. So Faramir with a horse leading all of the knights, that's, that's cool and thematic, but your opponent's going to be like, okay, the cavalry threat is right here and they can, they can mitigate it a lot easier. Um, same with your Citadel guards, all of your fight four is in one war band where it might benefit you to uh, move them all around. That said, it's a, it's a cool list. I don't know. I'm, I might have more to say about it, but what do you guys think? I mean, so if we're talking about competitive, which of course is a competitive podcast, uh, nine knights of Minas Tirith probably is excessive. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I mean, I like knights of Minas Tirith. I'm not sure I bring nine, maybe six, probably max. Um, They're not something that I would regard as like, if you spam them because of their large bases, uh, when they get thrown in there, they generally are going to lose the fights. Now, if you have Boromir of the White Tower with a banner, okay, now they have a banner effect. Now they're fight four. I can see maybe the argument to have more knights uh, given when they win combat. Obviously, they're effective. But in this list, nine isn't doing you very many favors. Um, Also, you have all these Citadel Guard. I'm curious... You know, I'm actually real curious on what Rob has to say about these because he actually specializes in Gondor forces. But um, Citadel Guard, my guess is that he would agree with me in saying that 11 of them is also excessive. Uh, Fountain Court Guard, probably doing it better when you don't have the longbow because you have five with longbows in this list. And so, okay, cool. So you want to bring the longbows. Fine. We'll go ahead and say that. But. Like I'm not, I'm not really seeing why you have the rest of them because generally they're just worse than Fountain Court Guard altogether. Um, and then 
you have all the Warriors of Minas Tirith in a final warband led by Ingold, and that's also an unusual choice considering now if you're broken up due to Maelstrom, your Citadel Guard Defense 5 are kind of left off on their own. Um, Ingold, uh, I believe, is the one who like never backs away. Am I correct on that? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like the he, he's like the if you're within I think three inches of him, then you, you don't back away if you lose the fight. Yeah, so that, that so I think you're choosing the wrong troops here, in my opinion. Um, I think that you can probably mix this up a little bit better, like Rainier stated. Um, as far as Boromir, love his inclusion in the list. I think he adds very obvious might batteries to this list. Uh, Rob, what do you what's your opinion on this, given your experience with Gondor? So I mean I'm going to I'm going to echo a little bit of both what you and Renier said about it. Um, I do love the theme of it. Like you said, it's very clearly kind of a defense of the Skilliot theme. Um, but I also agree with you, Devin, that it can be um, tightened if you are looking at it from a competitive perspective. Uh, first, I think Boromir of Gondor is awesome. But without something like a Lady of Light to protect him, he's just way too vulnerable to magic. So I would definitely try to upgrade him to the Boromir of the White Tower, preferably with the banner, which is still very thematic for the scene where he's, you know, waving the banner and encouraging the troops. Um, I also think that 11 Citadel Guard aren't really doing you too many favors. Now, I run Citadel Guard, especially with the longbows. And back when they could do um, bow and spear, they were actually a pretty useful backline because they could support with their higher fight and shoot with their better bows. But, um, but 11 of them really just, I don't think that they're contributing too much to this list, at least certainly not more than you would get out of just having normal warriors of Minas Tirith and rangers with bows and spears. Um, to fill that kind of niche, because it looks like you're trying to get the fight for in the back line um, with the no backups with Ingold. So I would definitely um, kind of rethink their inclusion. And thematically, they really only showed up when Denethor came to Brohug Boromir and Scorn Faramir. So you could get away with them not being there. Uh, and you can still get your fight for from the Rangers. I also agree that that's way too many knights. Um, one way to include the Citadel Guard that would be interesting if you want that cavalry element is to take a few of them on horses and then you can give them the longbows just as bodyguarded objective grabbers um, or to throw in a fight for cavalry here and there. I do that um, quite often actually. So I think that thematically I really like what you have going with Boromir, Faramir, Ingold defending Asgiliath. I just think that competitively uh, it's a little bit too easy to pick apart and there are too many models that don't quite pull their weight. Now, what I want to ask you guys real quick, are you a, and I, and I think I know based on the way that things were sounding from, from Devin and, and uh, Rob, are you guys a ranger with bow or a citadel guard with longbow kind of person when it comes to uh, Minas Tirith? Because obviously there, there's a points difference between the two. I think 11 points for longbow with the citadel guard. And uh, if you want bow and, or if you want spear on your, um, Rangers, I think it's eight points or nine points. So, but for that two points, you get the plus fight value, you get the higher armor. So it does better against shooting as well. You get the bodyguard. Um, so what, what do you guys feel is, is the better choice? Is the Citadel Guard with bows or do you think the uh, Rangers are just more worth it most of the time? Well, I think the conversation is much more than just simply which bow do you want? 
<clears throat> I mean, basically, you're talking about a Citadel Guard that's bodyguard. Uh, it does have a higher armor. Um, so there, if you do not have any other bodyguard in the list, and then you're doing what you're doing here, which is your convenient allies, which means you've just removed the Gondor bonus, well, you're going to have a, a courage problem. And when you go up against a terrifying list like Black Numenorian and such, you're, you're, you're generally going to find that your list is falling apart, which is another weakness of this list. Uh, so basically, in this list... The Citadel Guard, in my opinion, can make more sense than the Rangers, but that's only in the context of, like I said, I would rather bring Fountain Court Guard. I'd rather do other things to mitigate that problem than bring 11 Citadel Guard. Uh, so I think if, if all I could change is turn these Citadel Guard into Rangers, I think I'd keep them as Citadel Guard in this list. And I want to really reinforce that, uh, you know, but... But ultimately, yeah, more often you're probably bringing the Rangers because they're more cost-effective to do a very similar function, which is to provide the fight for and to uh, bring the bows that allow you to bring your opponent to you. With five longbows, you're not shooting your opponent off the field. So realistically, five longbows versus five regular bows isn't really creating a lot of a difference. You either outshoot your opponent because they have no bows or, uh, like, I mean, you're, you're going to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think that it's necessarily trying to compare whether the Citadel Guard or the Ranger is better because they excel in different roles and different army lists. I think that it's more about how you use them and where you use them. And I use both in all of my Gondor lists generally. I mean, I think the bodyguarded Citadel Guard with bows are great objective grabbers or campers, for example. I think the Rangers have a lot of flexibility and they're a little bit cheaper. Um, I agree with Devin on this list because you are a convenient ally and you're not getting that Gondor bonus. Courage is going to be a problem. Um, so the bodyguard makes a little bit more sense here, even though you don't have the strongest general that protects that bodyguard. Because once Faramir's dead, um, it's, you know, all your troops are not bodyguarded anymore anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, I think that I just, I think if you're going to go for the bodyguarded troop, that fountain court guard for a little bit extra is just better than a citadel guard with a spear. So, but to Devin's point, uh, that's just within the context of just that pure switch in this list. Whereas, like I said, I'd switch up the heroes. I'd go pure Gondor for this one and not dip into a convenient alliance. I don't think you need to do that for this one. And you can keep the theme a lot better without doing it. So that would be that would be my take on it, but it's not really an either or in terms of one being better than the other. They just have slightly different roles and fit into different lists a little bit better or worse. Yeah, the Citadel Guard is kind of the jack of all trades, master of none type figure in this list. If what you're looking for is somebody with bodyguard who can just go in and you know be the front, be your front line that can charge whatever it is causing terror, you want the Fountain Cart Guard. If what you're looking for is somebody with a bow that can kind of hang out in the second line and uh, shoot, you want the Rangers with spear and bow. Um, if what it is is you want some something to like form a battle line, uh, which I think this this particular warband almost looks like it's it's going to do here. But you know, sit in a battle line and fight in two ranks. You want the just the ordinary warriors of Minas Tirith. Um, and you know, I, I always struggle to find a reason to kind of put Citadel guard in, um, other, other than theme, which of course, you know, you get Boromir of Gondor. So, you know, I, I wouldn't lean too heavily on theme in this army, but I, I agree that I think the way to 
way to do this is to upgrade Boromir of Gondor to Boromir of the White Tower, give him the banner. Um, that means you've got to find, I mean, you've got to find a bunch of points somewhere. You can drop, I mean, if you do that, you can drop your banner from the, um, from the captain of Minas Tirith's uh, warband, save some points there. The other thing I think I would drop would be if you're going to Boromir of Gondor, I would just drop the captain of Minas Tirith um, I would change Ingol to Irolas, and that gets you the march again. Um, and then you, you know, you, you got to put a, bo- a war band around Boromir of Gondor, um, and you can throw a couple knights in there. You can throw um, some of your foot in there, uh, and then you can have kind of a smaller uh, war band of knights following Faramir around. You can have a a battle line combined of Irolas and Boromir of Gondor, uh, and go with that. Um, do you, now I know we mentioned the the Knights of Minas Tirith. Um, when and I, I don't know how many of you have played or, or consistently play um, Gondor, but with the Knights of Minas Tirith at about fourteen points, you you figure um, obviously there's nine. That's it, it's a lot, like Devin and. Um, Rabbit mentioned, but how many would you guys take in this list, or would you take any at all? I think I'd still take take a, take some, and I wouldn't even. I mean, usually I would suggest to take two or three cav, but I still like the idea of taking five to six knights of ministers. I think at fourteen points, they're a total discount. You get a mounted model with a lance, and uh, Matt and Devin mentioned Boromir with uh with the banner like if you bring boromir with the banner like those knights are all of a sudden going to be mega mega dangerous and your opponent's going to be really really scared so i still like the addition of them i think for 14 points you have what's equivalent to a heavy defense um serpent rider just of course minus the the fight value so i think they're really good they kill stuff when they win and at the worst they're 14 points or maybe 13 points objective grabbers yeah they're, good, yeah, they're good troops. They, they do have a, a decent bit of, of fighting power, but I agree with Rainier where they really come into their own is when Boromir's got the banner and they suddenly become fight for, because then they become actual, they, they become really scary troops. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, thank you, Andrew, for your list for this week. If you have any other lists, please leave them in the comment section below so we can review them in future episodes. I'm going to move on to the main topic for this week, which is magic spells or magic items in the game um, that we want to see kind of either revamped or um, just kind of talk about them in general. Um, so I'll move over to Matt first. So Matt, what, what was one of yours? All right. So one of mine, this comes with a dramatic reading. So let me crack open the book here. And this is to the chapter on the White Rider, which is chapter five of the Two Towers. Saruman, cried Gimli, springing towards him with axe in hand. Speak, tell us where you've hidden our friends. What have you done with them? Speak, or I'll make a dint in your hat that even a wizard will find it hard to deal with. The old man was too quick for him. He sprang to his feet and leapt to the top of a large rock. There he stood, grown suddenly tall, towering above them. His hood and his gray rags were flung away. His white garments shone. He lifted up his staff, and Gimli's axe leapt from his grasp and fell ringing to the ground. 
The sword of Aragorn, stiff in his motionless hand, blazed with a sudden fire. Legolas gave a great shout and shot an arrow high into the air. It vanished in a flash of flame. Mithrandir, he cried, Mithrandir. Well met, I say again to you, Legolas, said the old man. So that's the passage. Um, this also shows up in the movie where essentially that stuff happens. And I thought this would, I've always thought this would be a great spell for Gandalf the White is something that would allow um, a target or maybe a target and other people near a target, maybe everybody in combat with him um, to be uh, unarmed for a turn because he's doing something to, you know, have everybody drop weapons. So that was, that was my first spell. I always thought this would be a useful canonical spell for Gandalf the white to have the kind of complement his ability to, uh, to fight. If not only if he goes into combat uh, against somebody, can he, uh, you know, get his two attacks, but if he can force them and, you know, others in combat with him to be unarmed, I think that would be a great spell. And I mean, it has an advantage over transfix and that, you know, transfix only affects one uh, unit and he still fights at full fight value. This, this allows, uh, you know, Gandalf the white to go in against several guys and get a combat advantage over them for a turn. So anyway, that was my nomination is something to, you know, that gives Gandalf an ability to disarm his opponents for a turn. Now, what, what, what would you give that on a, a dice roll? Cause I mean, on a hero, that could be really powerful. So what, what, what number would you probably give that if you were to try to create that? Oh, if you were going to succeed on that? I don't know. I'd probably give it a four. He's Gandalf the White. He just, I mean, he just did it in like a snap to Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. So, <laughs> you know, it can't be that hard to do. Um, I'm so glad you brought this one up because this, uh, on my list of things, spells that I want to see in the game, this one's probably number one, if not extremely high up. I mean, Gandalf actually does this two times. Um, it, if, for those who don't know, I, I believe he also removes Denethor's sword when he's, I think, at the pyre. I think there was a, a, a praise. Mm. Rob, do you, do you know if that's extreme? Because I'm pretty sure he, he does the same trick to Denethor's sword. It makes I, I believe that's correct, yeah. I can't remember if it's at the pyre or like when they're confronting each other, but yeah. I'm but, pretty sure I remember something around that. All right, so I, while you guys are talking, I'm going to um, uh, take a quick scan that. through the pyre of Denethor uh, chapter and see if I can find it. So this does also more than what Matt just mentioned. So one, I'm so glad that Matt said temporarily disarm. Um, I do not think you should give him shatter. Uh, so, and, and Matt didn't imply that at all. In fact, I would argue to change shatter, the shatter rule to something that is temporary and therefore the Gundabad shamans and Gandalf can have it. Um, but it, even still, it adds that unarmed rule in the game. It gives it more weight because as of right now, being unarmed is... Like the the whole mention of oh you, you know you can fight even if you're unarmed you still fight as normal is like totally irrelevant <laughs> except for one model that you see like nothing else can disarm you in this game so I think having a model as prominent as Gandalf the White um, you, you're going to see him a lot and uh, I think that's an excellent rule to give him um, and it's kind of a, an offensive power that he can use that. I, I kind of like a support spell that's not quite like Enchanted Blades, but, you know, still adds to the power, but this is kind of more indirect because your opponent can resist it, and I kind of like that about it. So this is one I absolutely love. I, I, I think this should definitely be included. So here's the passage, and this is from the Pyre of Denethor uh, chapter from The Return of the King. 
Even as Gandalf and Pippin ran forward, they heard from within the house, house of the dead the voice of Denethor crying, Haste, haste, do as I have bidden, slay me this renegade, or must I do so myself? Thereupon the door which Baragon held shut with his left hand was wrenched open, and there behind him stood the lord of the city. Tall and fell, a light like flame was in his eyes, and he held a drawn sword. But Gandalf sprang up the steps, and the men fell back from him and covered their eyes. For his coming was like the incoming of a white light into a dark place, and he came with great anger. He lifted up his hand, and in the very stroke the sword of Denethor flew up and left his grasp and fell behind him in the shadows of the house. And Denethor stepped backward before Gandalf as, as one amazed. So there you go. There's, there's Denethor. And maybe there's a channeled version where you can pick one finger, one figure, and he just becomes unarmed permanently. Like, yeah. like yeah, you could. Yeah, if you, I think if you spend a might point that, yeah. if, if if Shatter's going to remain in the game, then that's a fair enough thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think absolutely that would give a definite use for the Shatter, like the you know a permanent removal. And I mean, obviously, and remember it's different from Shatter because Shatter can be used on any war gear. This this would be. To basically to make a figure unarmed yeah so that you know you can't use it on a banner or a staff or anything like that but it would kind of remove all weapons basically and that's if you want to keep shattered on the game you know instead of replacing it yeah then there's yeah. another unique use for it and it would be different from your staff is broken too since your staff is broken is also permanent by nature um yeah, but only obviously targeting well, it says staffs but it probably should be relegated to staffs of power but hey um <laughs> Okay, so uh, Devin, what was one of yours? All right, so that was actually one of the main ones that I was going to bring up, but I'll, I'll go ahead and go with another one. So Galadriel, there's, I, I have a lot on Galadriel, probably like nine, which obviously we're not going to cover today. <laughs> but one of them, if I have to pick a top one, is her telepathy. Um, her ability to speak to everyone in their mind is actually far more than even the movies even represent. Her power of telepathy is so powerful. She can see Sauron's mind and Sauron can't see her back. Her, like this, this is actually, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly where it says that, but, um, but it is directly phrased that she uh, can block Sauron from her, despite the fact she can see him. Um, something that Saruman can't do, by the way. She's that powerful. <laughs> Saruman literally couldn't achieve this. I mean, this is something that I think should have been represented and would have been pretty interesting, even if I'm not really sure where exactly, like what kind of rule I would give it necessarily, but if we just gave it to the normal Galadriel, um, you know, Oh, and by the way, another thing about this telepathy, she actually gives that power to the mirror. Uh, so that mirror isn't like some magical artifact that just did a thing. No, like she gives her power of telepathy to the mirror to do what it does. So that comes directly from her. But um, I probably would make it maybe where, you know, and this is just spitballing here, but like, you know, if you call a heroic move, like maybe, you know, it affects the battlefield where everyone always counts within six. I'm not really sure. Like maybe you can use her might to heroic move like other people or something, uh, or maybe use heroic ashes and link her to them somehow. I mean, I don't know if you guys have a more creative idea than that. But. Well, I, I, I creative. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Rainer. No, I think you should be able to, uh, as your opponent is measuring their models, you can go up into their ear and whisper stuff. <laughs> well, she wouldn't. <laughs> You're not already. I do it already. I mean, did it okay. to you, Rob? I was like, I was like, I'm gonna get you with all my corsair shots. I'm gonna get you bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then he did. 
But it's not my fault. I was so distracted by Matt playing his stupid glasses on the other table. So, <laughs> ding. What were you gonna? <laughs> so, um, on on that point, though, I think that that's a really cool idea. And one way you could do it is that essentially, when Galadriel calls a heroic, like a, a move, for example, she can basically pick any model in her army to actually be the place it originates. Right? So she could be like, I'm calling a heroic move, and that Galathrim knight over there is actually where the heroic move is going to key off of. So it goes mm-hmm. from him, right? That would be cool. That is like beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I like- well, now mine seems less cool. <laughs> 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 I, I, I was, I was going to say, like, it was kind of like an intellect thing where um, Galadriel can just basically see every model in the game. And so like she can tell one hero and then they have uh, fell sight from like the wards. It's like, you can see, it's kind of like you, you don't have, um, you can't hide from terrain. That person, like if she targets it on. Kind of like Radagast birds ability. Yeah. Yeah, So like you can see everything in the, so then it's kind of like, yeah. Radagast birds ability basically. Yeah. It's a good example, but. That would like, be a less cool way of introducing it. Yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> no, that's, that's why I should have gone first, and so I would have seen it would have progressed higher and no, not no, gone no, down now. But it, it it could be cool because you could even name it something like the Lady of the Woods, because like that was mentioned in the book, where like the eye she can always see you whenever you're in the Golden Woods. Like you could theme it. I think it could work. Mm-hmm. Unlimited range for her spells. I mean, didn't she give you <laughs> boom? <laughs> That would be interesting, actually. You know what? It would be pretty, a special rule. It'd be pretty harsh to yeah. just or maybe what, fire once, mobilize from game to start turn one. Once again, you tell me that doesn't make that model it. much better. Yeah. <laughs> you can do battle wide. I mean, she only has what? Can, she only has what? Um, Transfix or what's the good version? A mobilize. mobilize. Enchanted blades. I think she can up your fate. She doesn't have enchanted blades. She has. Oh, she, um, she has immobilize compel. Uh, whatever the spell is that restores fate, uh, fate and blinding light. Okay. It's the blessing of the Valar, I think it's yes. called. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, I love, Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say there, there actually is. So I'm going to read another passage because this is a passage that's describing exactly what Devin was talking about. And this is from the, the choices of master Samwise uh, chapter. And this is when Sam is confronting Shelob. Even as Sam himself crouched, looking at her, seeing his death in her eyes, a thought came to him, as if by some remote voice spoken. And he fumbled in his breast with his left hand and found what he sought. Cold and hard and solid it seemed to his touch, in a phantom world of horror, the vial of Galadriel. Galadriel, he said faintly. And then he heard voices far off but clear. The crying of the elves as they walked under the stars in the beloved shadows of the Shire. And the music of the elves as it came through his sleep in the hall of fire in the house of Elrond. Githoniel Elbereth. And then his tongue was loosed and his voice cried in a language which he did not know. And then, then we go into the spell and goes on to kind of the next thing I'm going to talk about. But I mean, that's what Evan's essentially talking about is Galadriel has the ability to uh, you know, speak, give inspiration and, as we're going to see kind of cast spells through, yeah. you know, through other characters, or at least through the vial. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, right, Devin? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. what's, 
she can do it more from like she doesn't have to use an artifact like the vial to do it from but like yeah i mean she can speak into your mind i really don't see her not being able to give commands to her troops as rob mentioned through just her mind i mean she there's so many examples of her doing this throughout even the films where she can clearly talk to people i mean hell even uh with boromir you know you can see him quivering because she's obviously in his head um well actually i think he even says that he says that she was in his head so yeah, no, that's basically exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I wonder if one of the ways you could do it is allow her like once a turn to let any any friendly figure on the board use her will to resist a spell. And and that could be another like practical use of it. Like, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of different variations of it, but I just think the fact that no such thing of any telepathy at all exists with her when that is like the primary power we see her use, like ignore all the other spells that she does like that. Her primary ability that we see in the films is her telepathy. I think that that's going ignored is kind of strange to me. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Rob thoughts. So um, actually, now that you mentioned Galadriel, and um, this was one of mine, and it's not, it's not a spell per se, but it's actually her mirror. And it always struck me as kind of odd, the rules her mirror has to restore fate, because, you know, it shows you things that are, that were, and that have yet come to pass, which doesn't really suggest to me something that would restore your fate so much as something more like Elrond's rule. Where you get like uh, points to modify priority because you're seeing the future or, you know, you're able to predict a little better um, or maybe even like a Palantir type rule where you can steal priority. So that's one of mine that I, I thought, um, even though it's not a spell, it's an artifact. Just talking about Galadriel, her mirror, not that it's not necessarily useful, though you can have that discussion as well, but it never really did what I kind of envisioned it should do in the game. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Oh. Dude, I, I think that's absolutely an example of a another profile that mm-hmm. I wish didn't exist once we got to it here in this current edition because mm-hmm. you can tell they just haven't changed it. Like the Balrog we mentioned right. earlier, like it, you can tell it would have been probably better if they had gotten to it now. And I think that foresight rule existed probably 10 years after the mirror ever was created as a profile. And I think that would be a much better point to it. And then you wouldn't see Gala- uh, Guahir carrying it everywhere. <laughs> so, like a freaking water bottle, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and honestly, why here's Gatorade? Yeah. And the thing is, like, the thing clearly shouldn't be lugged around anyway. Yeah. Then you could give it more the rule that you see with um, the tower, the signal tower from Azog, where you just place it on the field, and then heck, even relegate it to where if Galadriel's within six inches of it, then she can do these foresight, you know. A, points mm-hmm. or utilize them if you want to take it that far um mm-hmm. but you know yeah i think that would be a much more thematic way i think you would see a lot less ridiculousness with it i think it'd probably be arguably more useful um mm-hmm. and so i i yeah i'm fully on board with that yeah Devin, you should watch it don't say signal tower you might trigger <laughs> trigger <laughs> <laughs> that declares nothing shall be like his signal tower. no I, I think that's a good idea the only thing i'd say is that if we're going to do that then the uh the mirror should be about eight inches tall and eight inches wide <laughs> i mean when we say that when big we old, say the mirror, banners yeah how do we know we're not talking about the forest that the mirror is on you know that's right it can For be called those, the golden tree. <laughs> <laughs> For 
for all those who don't know what I'm talking about, the signal tower, and we won't go into this, but like the signal tower, everyone has a mountain they're carrying around with it. And it's just like, no, clearly they're referencing the flags. <laughs> so it's like the mirror. It's like everywhere you, you have a giant forest representation around. <laughs> you just bring out the Lorraine and drop it on the table. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your opponent's like, oh, cool display board. And it's like, no, this is not my display board. This is where I'm going to use this. Bring this in the game. This is my 25 point mirror. <laughs> Yeah, what the heck, man? <laughs> so you just bring forest with you everywhere you go. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the ridiculousness of the single tower and how everyone's concept of like, oh, it should be on a mountain that I carry. You mean ridiculousness of the single tower? <laughs> I told you, Devin, don't trigger. No, don't do it. <laughs> it it's the single tower. It's not the signal patio. <laughs> that was my rant. <laughs> rant two. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rainier, your thoughts? So my thoughts on magic to premise before before I say what I'm going to say, like I want to just, I think Games Workshop did a really, really good job with the new edition in downgrading magic that was too powerful. So I want to say that. That said, I still believe they can do a couple tweaks to kind of get the theme of the books and the movies a little more. I know the big thing for me is magic in Tolkien's world i guess was more of like a council um and i'm going to bring us back to gandalf so i think like gandalf can and even um what's his name saruman can have more council rules so like saruman could have a cool rule like the corruption of the istari to where he can maybe once per turn dictate where one of your his opponent's warbands will, will be deployed and then vice versa i think it'd be cool to have uh Gandalf, Gandalf have like the wisdom of the story or, or a rule called a wizard is never late and he have the ability to deploy his warband wherever he wants on the board or automatically roll a six when it comes to maelstorm battles or something like that I mean it sounds a little overpowering but if I feel ever like there was a phrase in quest of a rule it, it's mm-hmm. that one a wizard is never late I think that's, that, a, great that, that's a great rule yeah. I really like that with Gandalf yeah. Yeah, and it would it would it would be very thematic too because it's like I don't know it'll 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 dictate. But yeah, I think I think more rules like that, more rules where magic isn't so much that it's like okay, I'm gonna shut down your army with fear, or I'm gonna make all of my all of my army pass. I, I want it's like something a special more. rule that they can activate. Yeah, yeah, or something Perhaps. that that you you use in the deployment. Even uh, like like the the world of Tolkien was magical. Like, give mm-hmm. me like okay, maybe some terrain pieces like the door doors of Durin. Maybe right. have like some special terrain pieces or like the Barrow Whites. I want to see that incorporated into tournament play. I don't know. That was a lot on my topic, but what do you guys think? Yeah, if I may, I actually completely agree with you in the sense that if you're going back to to Tolkien lore, magic was a very subtle thing. And it had a lot more to do with like influencing your surroundings or empowering objects and artifacts. And so in my opinion, to your point where magic is done best in the game is where it's a subtle effect, where it's something like a, like an aura of command because you're inspiring people around you. Right. Or, you know, to your point about doors, a lot of the magic that Gandalf and shockingly, even the Balrog does is about even opening or sealing objects magically. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I would prefer magic to focus more on subtle effects, even like you mentioned, like pregame effects or one-off effects that affect your army or the terrain on the board, rather than more of the movie magic where you're shooting around fireballs and, you know, destroying things. 
and uh, and I can come back to that later because I have a particular hatred for Shatter. But um, <laughs> I, I, like, don't even get me started. And that that just is the wider point of in the game who actually uses magic, right? Whereas Magic in Tolkien's world was very much just you know the Maiar or the oldest elves, and not like some. Wait, it wouldn't be a random goblin. goblin in a tavern. <laughs> Okay, uh, Matt, another thought of yours? So uh, while we're on the Gandalf theme, um, I'm going to go to a different one. And uh, you know, first I'm going to start off with, with a minor rant, which is, is there ever any circumstance under which you would use the Collapse Rock spell? No. there okay. is no, Unless it is channeled, there is zero reason to ever use that spell. All right. All right. So, yeah. So this was a, this was, I think a nice try on games workshops part to try and put in, you know, something that was a little themey and give, give Gandalf another spell, but you know, it, it misfired because they gave it a five plus to go off, which means it's, it's no easier to do than Sorceress Blast and Sorceress Blast is the better option. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to propose an alternative to the collapse rock spell. And to, to back this up, I'm going to read a passage out of, uh, the Hobbit, out of the frying pan into the fire. Now you could understand why Gandalf, listening to their growling and yelping, began to be dreadfully afraid, wizard though he was, and to feel that they were in a very bad place and had not yet escaped at all. All the same, he was not going to let them have it all their own way, though he could not do very much stuck up in a tall tree with wolves all around on the ground below. He gathered the huge pine cones from the branches of the tree. Then he set one alight with a bright blue fire and threw it whizzing down among the circle of wolves. It struck one on the back, and immediately his shaggy coat caught fire and was leaping to and fro, yelping horribly. Then another came, then another one in blue flames, one in red, another in green, and they burst upon the ground in the middle of the circle and went off in colored sparks and smoke. A specially large one hit the chief wolf on the nose, and he leapt into the air ten feet, then rushed round and round in a circle, biting and snapping even at the other wolves in his anger and fright. The dwarves and Bilbo shouted and cheered. The rage of the wolves was terrible to see, and the commotion they made filled all the forest. Wolves are afraid of fire at all times, but this was the most horrible and uncanny fire. If a spark got in their coats, it stuck and burned into them, and unless they rolled over quickly, they were soon all in flames. Very soon, all about the glade, wolves were rolling over and over to put out the sparks on their backs, while those that were burning were running around howling and setting others alight, till their own friends chased them away, and they fled off down the slopes, crying and yammering and looking for water. So, I want a enchant pine cones spell or the equivalent. <laughs> so the way this would work is have a, a fairly low cast chance, probably like a two or three. If you cast it, then Gandalf gets a throw stones ability where he could, uh, or you know, throw something ability where he would have have a single thrown attack within six inches. If that hits its target, its target is set ablaze. And then every other uh, figure within two inches of it has to make a courage test. And if it fails the courage test, it flees. So that would be that would be the spell. And we may have to tweak that depending on how uh, powerful it is. But I think that would be a really useful kind of area effect spell for Gandalf to have. Um, and you know the reason you take that over sort of I mean the downside of it is you know he'd have to hit on a four plus when he throws something at somebody. But the, uh, the, the upside over Sorceress Blast is you get that area effect. Plus, if you're going to throw it at a big target, you get him set ablaze. So I think that would be a useful and fun spell for Gandalf to have. 
I think actually that's pretty interesting. I, I there are also multiple other fail points on that, which is good. That's a good thing considering the power of the spell, which is, you know, yeah, obviously you have to roll to hit, so that's one, but also blinding light or anything would affect that, which is great. And then you'd also have to have a clear shot. Gandalf can't move. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of weaknesses to it where you won't just see everybody trying to pelt people with rocks all the time. <laughs> or not rocks, but flaming pine cones. Um, it is a scene that we only see once, uh, and I think there would be some who might feel that the collapse rocks special rule which we see at least three times i believe um in the films uh also should deserve to be there it's but i do i actually like the flavor of this rule i think it's more interesting i would wonder if they would actually take the route of instead of making this pine codes rule just simply making collapse rocks actually useful but i think that the you know, no, they're never going to do that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Zero chance they'll make it useful. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I mean, I like the idea behind that. I I really like the idea, but maybe instead of um, models within the radius, like courage test and flee, have if the model is set ablaze, then models within you can pick a radius immediately have to back away a certain amount, and if they can't, they also get set ablaze. So you can like move them out of position. I, I think it'd be interesting if, if it created like a, a, a an actual fire effect where, you know, I, I like what where, where you said where like um, instead of them just running away, they get caught on fire and then the fire keeps spreading and spreading and spreading kind of a thing. And then so if, if you, you get this giant battlefield fl- fire kind of concept. So the only reason I hesitate with that, that would definitely need some sort of playtesting. <laughs> yeah, because you set, like the... set of blaze is a nasty special. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, you have Gandalf it's... burning down terrain pieces. Yeah, and stuff. I think That'd that you get far closer to what Matt said than what this you know set the world ablaze. I think even actually the biggest risk I've ever seen to set ablaze was the ruffian who can burn a whole forest down. Yeah, which is awesome, by the way. I love that rule <laughs> so much. But at the same time, you can tell like that's that's probably the most risk they've ever taken with that. And this one would be even more like what you're talking about, spreading a flyer like that. I mean, you you could do it and have like so you know you throw the you throw the pine cone, it sets the target ablaze. If the target doesn't die on the first, you know, by the you know when the, with from that first strength nine hit, then all other models within uh, you know say an inch of him then have to make a courage test. If they fail the courage test, they get set ablaze and do it that way. So it's actually like contagious. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely don't want to have so much rolling where you're constantly rolling, rolling, you know. Well, I don't, I don't think you keep it going after that. I think you just have basically that one model kind of becomes contagious mm-hmm. so that for every turn it's on fire and like not dying. Uh, any other model within one inch has a chance to get set ablaze. And, you know, they wouldn't then become contagious, but you basically get like one model that uh, everybody has to run away from or else <laughs> they're going to catch fire. If uh, if a games workshop employee ever happens to be listening to this, you know, then I guess if, if we were to just talk about the collapse rock special rule, I think the easy answer is just make it a four. Just make it a four. What are you thinking? <laughs> Like, I'm not sure why it has the same cast value as Sorcerer's Blast, which is yep. obviously a superior spell. <laughs> well. Okay, uh, Devin, another thought of yours? All right, so uh, just going down my uh, list. There's some spells in here which, I mean, 
it'd be interesting to see, but I, I, I don't know how you would put it in the game without it being like making the game worse, like less fun. And that's always something you have to consider when you do this. So like one that I, I think is interesting that it hasn't been included is the shields that both Gandalf and Saruman use. And if you don't know what I'm talking about against, uh, we've seen it multiple times in the films, the Balrog against the Necromancer, uh, Gandalf clearly is projecting a shield of some sort. And um, the shield in the movies is powerful enough to break Balrog's sword. Now, I believe in the books, it's not actually true. It's Glamdring that's actually doing that. But basically, you know, we see that shield. And then for Saruman, you may have missed it, but in Duel Gildor, when Saruman's battling the Ringrays, he has a shield. He actually gets hit. Like, there is a Ringwraith who actually hits him in his back, but the shield projects and breaks the, the blade. So, um... I don't know how you'd introduce something into the game that can give shields. I feel like you'd make them just tougher to kill, and that's scary thought for a wizard. But it's something that I kind of was curious if you guys might be able to think of, like, how would you introduce that? Maybe just give them heroic defense, but name it something fancy. Well, yeah, I, you, I guess you, you can say, yeah. like, like, Don't they have heroic defense? They do have heroic defense. Oh, do I think they? Like, okay, so that's kind of... They have it. I mean, essentially, I guess, yeah, the idea... Maybe you can think of heroic defense then as that shield. So I guess I'll give something totally different since, you know, that that probably shouldn't exist in combination with rerolling fates and, and heroic defense, So especially on a wizard. So let's go with something different. Then. Well, I mean, uh, you could, before we go off that topic, oh, sure, you, sure. you could just allow a spell that ups their defense for a turn, right? Mm-hmm. You could yeah. allow a spell that gives them, you know, if they cast it, they have defense seven for that turn. Um, and then, you know, if you wanted a channeled version, which is probably the one you'd use against the Necromancer or the Balrog, it gives them defense 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'd be the only spell in the game you can cast in close combat. I think that should be that. <laughs> no, yeah, well, I mean, you could do cool. that. I mean, I've actually thought about that, about whether, um, you know, if, if you don't use the free point of will from the Staff of Power during your movement phase to cast a spell, whether, should, whether that sh- you should be able to use that to convey some sort of special ability in the combat phase. Like you could spend that will point to get an extra attack in the combat phase, or maybe you spend that will point to raise your defense in the combat phase. Just an ultimate so, use of it, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so basically, what it is is your. I mean, it does two things. First of all, it gives you a choice between always casting a spell and just saving that to get some sort of combat effect, like you see, you know, kind of Saruman doing in the fight against the Ring Raids, or you know, Gandalf the White doing. Uh, or it, it, it makes the wizards a little tougher to take down just by charging them. Because if you charge them and they never have the opportunity to cast the spell, then they can do something with that will with the staff to make them more powerful in combat. And that'd be, you know, I mean, if, it, if I guess the staffs actually, while we're on that, I, I don't know if anyone else knows. I mean, what, what the staff? What do the staffs actually do in this world? Is actually another curious question. And do you feel that's accurate? I kind of do feel like what they made it and do is accurate. But like, you notice wizards can cast spells without their staffs. So, and I'm not sure that it's implied that they're necessarily more powerful with them. But I don't know. Maybe that's a whole. What, other well, you remember, like it, you remember it the allows them to channel more energy, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like, like you so. see in Thor, where like he needs his hammer to kind of. You know, like it's like a way to enhance his power, kind of a thing. Maybe that's what it is. Probably what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's also the scene in um, 
Battle of Five Armies Extended Edition where, where Gandalf's got the broken staff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something his spells like, wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah I feel like bang it on the ground to get the thing to, mm-hmm. to light up. So. so I guess outside of that, um, the only other ones, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not really sure also, once again, how I would introduce this into the game, but Saruman has the ability to make you think he's someone else. I'm... <clears throat> As does Gandalf the White. Gandalf the White can do that as as we just learned. Yeah. Um, So, do you think they can get an easy fix? Like maybe just give them an elven cloak or something. That probably might be what you would do with it. Yeah, you probably would just make it like an elven cloak, where if you're close enough, you can kind of see through it. They call like the robes of the Astari or something, and then that. Yeah, but maybe instead of like being in a terrain piece, it's just anywhere they are. Oh, that would be devastating. Yeah, I guess, I guess if you can't shoot him. Never mind. Be, never mind. Yeah, I just never can't mind. take him out at all. Yeah. <laughs> like that would yeah. be really devastating. Well, <laughs> you would definitely have to make that though, a spell, huh? On that topic, though, it could also work something like, um, like the ring or something, where you have to either take a courage test to charge them because you're not sure if they're friend or foe or something like that. Well, yeah. that's. I mean, that's really that's terrifying aura, which yeah, it's true. true. I mean, it's although true. I suppose you could change change it so because it could also affect shooting maybe that's what terrifying aura could be representing I yeah I, I mean there are uh, there are a lot of these spells that we're talking about that you know have their effects kind of incorporated into other things mm. um and because there there's a number of times where gandalf gandalf or saruman are talking about like preventing somebody from moving which is you know obviously mm-hmm. immobilized yeah. and stuff like that and yeah you know, struck Grima voiceless would also be because uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Gandalf the White does that. He goes, yep. Yeah, he, he makes it where he can't speak. Um, so I guess that would be immobilized as well. So, so a lot, yeah, a lot of these spells that they do, and, and I recognize that, like, you definitely don't want to add literally everything, like, even the lightning blast that you know you see Gandalf fire at the Balrog, or in the books, you know, uh, Gandalf uses flames to kill four of the nine race or, or drive them off somehow. At, on Weathertop, you don't see that in the films. It's in the books before Aragorn arrives at Weathertop with the Hobbits. But um, you know that could be represented by Sorcerer's Blast, and I and I certainly get that. Um, you know, or maybe he was throwing pine cones at them. Maybe you know he could have been throwing pine actually since it was fire. <laughs> so um, then uh, I guess here's an interesting one. I'm not sure. Do you think that Galadriel should have the ability to kill like? Okay, so basically orcs or whatnot, but essentially where that's coming from is the Dual Gildor scene in the extended edition. Mm-hmm. Galadriel like flicks her hand and just blows up the keeper of the dungeon. <laughs> so, so let, before we go on to this, because oh, sure. this was this is kind of analogous to something I was going to talk about, um, and so this is the scene immediately after the one I read with Sam, where he's got the vial and he's confronting Sheila. Mm-hmm. Um, now come, you filth, he cried. You've hurt my master, you brute, and you'll pay for it. We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. Come on, taste it again. As if his indomitable spirit had set its potency into motion, the glass blazed suddenly like a white torch in his hand. It flamed like a star leaping from the, a star that leaping from the filament sears the dark air with intolerable light. No such terror out of heaven had ever burned in Shelob's face before. 
The beams of it entered into her wounded head and scored it with unbearable pain, and the dreadful infection of light spread from eye to eye. She fell back, beating the air with her forelegs, her sight battered by the inner lightnings, and her mind in agony. Then turning her maimed head away, she rolled aside and began to crawl, claw by claw, towards the opening in the dark cliff behind. Um, so that's the vial of Galadriel, which Galadriel has in that scene with the keeper of the dungeons. And that is kind of what it is doing, right? I mean, it, this, is, this is not like keeping Shelob from shooting an arrow at Sam. This is actually blasting Shelob with light and causing her pain and a wound and um, scaring her off. So I think this is... This is essentially that scene from Dogol Dur where the vial is being used. This is a weaponized vial of Galadriel being used to like cause injury to something. And I think that's what you're describing. Yeah. I, what, I what, actually, that, <clears throat> go ahead. What, what if the vial acted kind of like a Morgul blade in that sense? How like, so? Well, cause like she has, she has a minus. I mean, I'm not, let, 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 let's say we use this specifically for the, um, the older version of Galadriel. Uh, she's minus one to win the fight, minus one to, to wound. But what if, if she did get a wound off that it just counted as a Morgul blade? I don't hit? think that would feel correct because she clearly uses it, one, at range. Um, there's actually an, also an instance where she uses the file of Galadriel against the Necromancer and the race. If you look closely in the movies, when she actually makes Sauron run uh, she has the file in her hand and it's it's always at range you see that you see also um, Sam when he's using it, it's at range I don't think you should treat it like a Morgul blade also he doesn't she doesn't kill any of them like Shelob runs Sauron runs it's well, not well the well the the keeper of the dungeons oh yeah if, if we're if we're <laughs> it, it, <laughs> he does get obliterated. I was actually thinking more along the lines of she can use banishment against like any target, but <laughs> but because um, you, you certainly wouldn't want to give her a power where she just auto kills banishment against everyone. Yeah, um, well, that, no, that's kind of the. Huh? I, I mean, I think what it is is something she can use against the target that is going to um, you know cause either a wound or if it's channeled you know d three wounds. That's ban- uh, so it's ban- like chill soul. That's literally what banish does. Yeah, but banish only works against spirits. And the yeah, keeper, that's, of, the, yeah. keeper of the dungeon and the Shelob are not spirits. Exactly, and that's where you can say the file. That file, yeah, it basically does what you're you're implying there. Yeah. So, and so, I guess so you saying would, like a chill soul kind of a thing, or yeah, basically chill soul. Yeah, but like but for good. the file itself. I mean, yeah, I mean that's. It's kind of a weird gimmick because I think a lot of people will feel a little confused based on the movie representation. He holds up the file and it looks more like Shelob's afraid of the mm-hmm. file more than like actually being hurt. Whereas in the book, it's obvious it's hurting her, but in this, right. it's more like, ah, uh, it's just bright. Um, but I mean, I guess that kind of works with Shelob since if you wound her, she runs. She runs. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it's kind of almost reflective of that, but you know, I yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all an interesting thing. That that'd be you know, obviously you know that's just us kind of coming up with ideas on the spot. But yeah, I think that'd be cool. So, like, okay. you definitely want to test that and see where that goes. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you could take that rule, and I think you would want to test it. But I mean, I've always kind of had a problem with blinding light the way it's written and, and the vial the way it's written because I can think of no instance in the books where. Um, 
or the movie. Light, <laughs> light is used to prevent people from shooting at you. It's never, ever once, not in the movies, the books. I, I do not know why Blinding Light is written the way that it is. Yeah. The only instance we see of it is him driving off the ring race. Otherwise, I really can't, or just kind of like being bright for Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. I guess well, maybe that's um, I, I think I think for Blinding Light, they should, the, instead of having it where you can't shoot it, shoot them, I think they should have like a negative effect. So for so example... not if, a six, but like a minus one. Minus to, one. Yeah, yep. minus one, minus one to hit or something like that. Because it, it, I don't know. Yep. Well, I mean, I, you know what? I actually kind of agree with Rainier on this. I mean, Blinding Light is just an auto, like, you're not going to shoot anything. Whereas it, if it just did minus one, it, it, it makes it so shooting armies actually... Some, someone like Harab, for example, doesn't just get shut out because they don't have any like blinding light. Like I mean, it just makes it yeah. harder for them to hit. It, it would it would make the pace of the game too, in my opinion, go a little faster. And you'd have like people that just castle and shoot with blinding light. You they'd have to kind of be more maneuverable during the game. So I think it'd be a plus side for a couple of reasons. I actually really you can say that. Um, Blinding light was on display when Gandalf was charging with the Rohirrim to relieve Helm's Deep, right? He was yeah. like using the sun to blind them, but that had nothing to do with shooting. So if it was a modifier, yeah. you could even work into the combat, for example. Because, I mean, all yeah. the pikemen were like, was, oh, I can't see. How am I going to hit these horses? Yeah, I think that's the way to do it is basically you say you know, blinding light gives you a minus one against shooting. And if you channel it, it gives you a uh, minus one. Um, against too, like against combat, yeah. Ooh, that would be spicy. That'd be like yeah, like hand off like make, a mini make shade. Your opponent's like, dual rolls worse, kind of like that Legion does, right? So, and, and keep on, you're not just talking about Gandalf. You're talking about Galadriel has this ability. Mm-hmm. She'll be able to use it in her like war form because she doesn't cast blinding light. Like, well, she it would be permanent, but only for the shooting part of it. But um, otherwise, it would be Gandalf would have it and. I think that's the only two actually. What would you do with the Shadow Lord? Uh, you could thing. actually leave the Shadow Lord as is because it's implied yeah. that he's totally shrouding them in mm-hmm. darkness. Mm-hmm. So you like can't. So he's literally in that one. case, you can't see yeah. anything. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's not like makes it a six. Yeah. yeah, it's not like there's any textual support for the Shadow Lord in any case. So you can yeah, do whatever exactly. the heck you want with him. I like this. I like this also too because, like, for example, with Blinding Light, now orcs have the same accuracy as elves. Yeah. If you did it a minus one, orcs would be hitting on sixes, but elves mm-hmm. would be hitting on fours. And I feel like elves can see through that light anyways. You you definitely would have to monitor how shooting armies become much more effective once they would. They definitely moved. would. So well, could... maybe maybe if, and I don't know if you do this either, but if you have like a three plus shooting, maybe they have to go up to a five or something or yeah. You know, so then that way it's not like instead of it going to a six, it's a five plus. Everything's a five plus. And obviously, and the, yeah. the other thing you could do—I mean, you could do two things, right? You could make the you could make the the effect of the shooting penalty, um, you know, permanent without requiring it to be channeled. So basically, once you cast it, it's up, and every you get a minus one. Um, you can also increase the distance that it affects mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Because and, and, and something like throwing weapons as well, that gets nerfed massively as well. So, you know, you have your Corsairs that, you know, instead of on a six, yes, they, they need fives, but it's it maybe you make it a wider stretch, like Matt said, so then it's 12 inches so that, like, the, the whole army gets affected and then Corsairs it's, can't do yeah. that. Just like in the movie, too, because Gandalf's beam went boom and then it spread out. Mm-hmm. 
like yeah it's like it's like when he went up to save uh faramir with the uh nazgul at uh at Asgeliath as well where you just have that giant ray and then they, they cut out and you see how big the light really is so i think um Obviously, there's so much more we can go on this, but I definitely think we should probably <laughs> head it off here. Um, did you want to move into the duel, Tim? Or Yeah, so uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you agree with our opinions, let us know. If you have any other thoughts on spells, let us know about that as well. Are we going to move into the duel t- right now? Uh, I'll be going up against Devin, and for anybody that's new to the duel, basically it's where we take two people on the podcast, and they go up against each other in a hypothetical duel. So... Earlier on this week, um, Matt has given me and Devin three random scenarios, and he has picked a random terrain piece as well, or board, and we will decide and, you know, he'll tell us the scenario, we'll go into it, and we'll, we'll go against each other uh, based on a 654-point list, and we'll basically go say how we would go up against each other. And the three remaining people, so uh, Matt, Robert, and Rainier, will let us know if they, who they think would win that battle. And the person who has the most votes, then they, they think would win. Um, so we'll go over to Matt. So Matt, what were the three scenarios that you gave to us this week? So I'm going to hit this one back over the net. Tim, what were the three scenarios that I gave you this week? Uh, let me pull those up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I, 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 I'm going I'm to do this duel in the Socratic method uh, um, technique. So I'm not going to lie, I wrote my list before the scenarios were even given to us. So <laughs> I, I already had this list uh, prepared because I, I, it was 650, and it made me think of that list. So um, I believe it oh, was... I, I found it. I found it. Reconnoiter, Capture and Control, and Divide and Conquer. Yes. Nice. So, uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, which scenario out of those three you picked? Uh, okay, so it is going to be... Capture and control. And if you can go over real quickly the, the rules of capture and control in case anybody forgot or doesn't really know the rules of capture and control, the points, values, and whatnot All right. for, for scoring. If you have that available. If not, I can pull uh, it up. I, I do. Um, yeah, basically, I guess for anyone who doesn't know, yeah, it's like a cross-shaped, you know, there's five objectives on the field, three on the center line of the, the board, and then... Like a diamond. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then one and in your you own zone and one in theirs. And essentially, you get two points for every objective you control. But uniquely, you, the when you capture the objective, it uh, flips to your side and you continue to control it, unlike domination, where you, you, you have to stand on it by the end of the game. So that's a unique thing about it. You also, the deployment's slightly different than normal. You actually, for the most part, you can deploy your entire army up. But if you want to deploy, like, further back like you can you have 24 inches up to the half but if you want to deploy 12 inches from your board edge like you know like behind in the rear you have to roll a four up on that warband so just makes things a little harder and i believe it's one point for killing wounding the general sorry and one point for breaking the one point for breaking one point for killing the general the only the only other difference between this and domination is that the game ending is different this is one where one side breaks it ends on a one or a two yeah so uh so yeah, so basically the the scenario in my mind. Um, well, I guess I'll get into that when I play. Uh, when I tell you my force, so <laughs> hold off. Okay, so Matt, if you can show us and the um, people watching the the board for the first time, All right. uh, so we can take a look at that, and then if you can describe it for the people who are just listening to the podcast as well. 
All right, so here's the board. All right. And just to let you know how this board works, um, it is designed so that the, the two sides of the, of the presumptive two sides of the board are uh, at the bottom of the screen and the top of the screen. Um, so we'll call those north-south and then east-west would be the left and the right. So for those of you who are uh, listening at home instead of watching, there is a stream that goes through the center of the board from the south side to the north side. Roughly in the middle of the board is a bridge that spans the stream. Um, and this is a shire board. So there are some hobbit holes uh, toward the southern side of the board on the uh, eastern edge. And then some more hobbit holes, including one conspicuous one with a green door along the eastern edge of the board. There's a path that leads between those hobbit holes over a bridge and that goes to the Green Dragon Inn, which is a large terrain piece on the other side of the bridge. Uh, for those of you who've actually been to Hobbiton, this may look a little familiar. It's arranged roughly as it is in, uh, um, in New Zealand. And the Green Dragon Inn is a large terrain piece here that is fully playable. So uh, these, these roofs uh, come off. You can fight within various rooms inside the Green Dragon Inn. Uh, there are several doors. There's uh, the main door, which is a little obscured here, but it's uh, on the eastern side. There's a couple of back doors on the western side. There's a door on the south that leads into the uh, that leads into some of the dining rooms that you can see on the left-hand side of the board. And then there's a lot of windows that one can have all sorts of fun jumping in and out of. Uh, and there's a few other trees, a few other odd hobbit holes on the board, some fields, but nothing else that really affects this other than the stream, the green dragon, and uh, the hobbit holes. The stream, by the way, is shallow. Okay. Um, so I, I, depending on which part of the board I get, I'm, I, I think I'll be happy. But it's a lot of um, – there's some open spaces. There's some very narrow spaces. Um, Let's actually just what, what you guys Let, let's go ahead and see who, who uh, gets to choose the board half. Go ahead and roll for it. Okay. Uh, and Devin, you get to pick. All right. I'm going to make this totally inconvenient for Tim. So no, I, I, I'm <laughs> hoping, I'm hoping you don't pick the place I'm hoping. So, all right. So I, I have a couple ideas on how to do this, but I'm, we're going to go through this really quickly. So I'm just going to make a decision right on the spot. I might've thought about this a little bit more, but I think I'm going to deploy where I'm going to flip the board to where Bree or the prancing, not the prancing pony. Green dragon. Green dragon. Thank you. That is to my back. Um, of my army. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because I have enough space between it and the center of the board to deploy a, a reasonable amount of my force. Also, one of my objectives is now in the Green Dragon, so <laughs> making it pretty much unassailable <laughs> for the most part. Um, you know, because holding up people in a building, I, I mean, I'll be honest, this is one reason in, in tournament play I don't like building <laughs> is because it, you can just hold someone up forever. But Put my objective in there. Great. Now, also, Tim has to deploy on a river. So that means he's moving half speed with his back ranks, and he's, he's completely disorganized. Love it. So that's how I'm going to deploy. I'm going to flip the board and have it where we're playing sideways. Okay. He took exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So now that you're going to deploy there, so then I would um... – Obviously, I have to deploy on the, the right side of the board. Or Let's go into the forces. What what exactly? I, well, I guess we'll go into mine because I have to deploy first. So let me tell you my list, people. Here, 
I'm going for Galadriel. I'm going to make her shine because Mick in the last episode said Galadriel was bad. I don't think she's bad. <laughs> and so I'm going to play her and I'm bringing her mirror. Yes, should I have foresight points? Yes, I should, but I don't. <laughs> I instead give fate. And I'm going to utilize that a little bit. Uh, so I got 15 Galadrim warriors, uh, six with bows. And then I got three fountain court guard. And then for my next warband, I have Gwahar. And he's going to take that bird bath and use that <laughs> throughout the entire game. And uh, then I've got, uh, surprisingly enough, Denethor. I'm going full theme here. Um, if, <laughs> so Denethor with 13 warriors of Minas Tirith, three bows and four spears. And that gives me a model count of 33 models. I have nine bows and six points of might. So really bizarre list. I actually decided to pick this because Denethor helps me bolster my ranks. I mentioned him as one of my top picks of heroes in the game. He, of course, has to be my general, which is unfortunate because I'd much rather have Galadriel be my general in this case. Uh, but a hero of valor for only 35 points is really useful here, especially since I have two already hard uh, high point characters. So... Deploying pretty much pretty standard. I think Denethor, I'm pretty much just going to hide in the green dragon. So I really don't have to worry about him at all now. And he's probably going to have like two people, maybe one person guarding him, making sure he doesn't walk outside. Because I don't have to do much more than that because the green dragon's already very hard to get him out of. So other than that, I mean, this game plan's pretty simple. I don't know what Tim has, but I mean, uh, Warriors means Tirith in the front, Galadrim in the back. Sorry, all my Galadrim have uh, spears. And so, you know, Galadrim in the back. Um... And they all have shields if they don't have bows. And, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty standard. Uh, Tim, what do you got? <clears throat> I don't like that list. It doesn't, <laughs> I'm not happy about this. Um, I, I went somewhat similar to Devin, but uh, I just went pure minister. Um, so my list is Faramir on Armored Horse with Heavy Armor, Shield, and Lance. I have six minister warriors with shield, six with shield and spear. Two Knights of Minas Tirith with shield. I have Huron on horse with seven Minas Tirith warriors with shield, five with uh, shield and spear. And then I have Madril with three Rangers of Gondor with spears, five Rangers of Gondor, and two Avenger bolt thrower teams. Um, so I have 41 models. I have nine might. I have eight actual bows, but then I have the two Avenger bolt throwers. So if we average out that one of them rolls a three and one rolls a four. So I'd have on average, let's say about seven shots a turn. So I'd have a potential of 15 shots per turn with seven of them at strength six. But obviously he has blinding light, which is a bit of an issue. Uh, he has the elves behind to support for fight five against my fight three. So uh, not, not super happy, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that's my list. So 41 models. Um, so, you said you'd deploy um, Denethor. Spread across that line. I've got a 13 Warriors Minas Tirith, 15 Elves backing them up, just right across that line, and then Gwahir behind them, ready to so fly I, over. So I think I would probably try to deploy the Avenger Bolt Throwers in a way to get as much open space as possible to shoot. And then um, put I'm curious. The, go ahead and roll two dice to see if you can even deploy them back. Oh, that's right. Well, luckily I do have Mad. Oh no, his Madril is only two. Wait a minute. Mad no, Madril has no effect on this. Aren't they? Oh. Aren't uh, they siege, siege weapons? weapons? Yeah. They. they oh yeah. They automatically deploy, deploy within six yeah, inches yeah, of the back. Sorry. Right. True. Very true. Ignore scenarios. <laughs> um, so I would probably put them. 
the, I think the best place would probably be in between the two Hobbit Hills, um, right at the bottom right corner, um, just in that space right there, just because there's that, the two trees open in the middle towards the river that give probably the most view. Um, so I'd probably put those there. And then I'd put the Minas Tirith warriors um, and it's pretty much, you know, some of them going over the bridge, some going through water and um, maybe a couple on top of the Hobbit Hill in the bottom left. Um, and then I'd kind of try to shoot my way through this because I do have, besides my archers being defense four, everything is defense seven if I uh, gang up together. So it still needs, um, you'd still needs, uh, besides the, uh, do you have any regular archers? That aren't, I have uh, nine elves. bows. I have uh, six elven bows and three regular bows. Three regular bows. So the regular bows would need sixes by fours. The elven bows still would need sixes. Um, but I also would need sixes. But you do have blinding light. Um, I don't know if in that space right there by... You said you'd deploy in the green dragon. I don't know if Galadriel would be able to affect everything no, unless... My army is not in the green dragon. Denethor is in the Oh, Denethor is in the green dragon. Okay. And that, well, you'd have to fit all the warriors because they have to deploy within six There is inches. plenty of space. Okay. Oh, we, oh you mean like, uh, yeah, well, I mean, basically, you just, I mean, I can't really define this for all our viewers, and I don't think it's important, but I can definitely get my warriors outside of this little extended point that's kind of in the center of it and have Denethor right in there because he doesn't have to, like, see the men. So. Mm hmm. I mean, yeah, it might be a little rough at first, but seeing you can encourage them from the window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> seeing as you have two Avenger bolt throwers, I'm going to assume you're going to deploy back anyway, which is, you know, it, which you've already mentioned you're going to do. So I might have a deployment where I'm not exactly perfect in the beginning, but then I just readjust. Um, so I, th I think what I'd probably do is I'd probably try to get as many shots in as possible because even though he has the blinding light against me, I do have the potential to get up to. Um, 12 strength, six shots. Obviously, it would average probably around seven or six shots, but I have the potential to get up to 12 strength, six. And, and, and even if I need sixes to hit, a couple of them will go through. I'll get a couple kills here and there, a couple rounds. Let's say we have three or four rounds of shooting, then maybe I'll get, I don't know, four or five kills. I do have the, the model count. Obviously, you have the higher fight value. Um, but if I could shoot down, uh, I, I'd probably target the guard of the Gladrum court because I want to get rid of that fight six, even though you'd have fight five in the back, at least when my heroes charge in, they'd be tied fight compared to being outshot. So depending on where Devin put them, uh, I would probably target those guys first. If not, then obviously I'm going to target the elves in the back to make it so that when I fight, I either have two on ones or the elves, um, or the, 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 they have less, um, spear support. So it'd be two on ones or, even, you know, just less mile. And I'm going to, basically, I'm going for the break um, so that I can just get this over with. Guajira will be annoying, of course. Um, there's nothing I can really do about that. But I'd probably just try to go for the breaking as quick as possible. So I'd probably go for heroic combats from Faramir and Huron. Uh, Madril, try to do as much as I can. Um, but I'm interested to hear what Devin would do based on what I've said. I mean, realistically, I think my strategy is fairly simple here. Move up the board. It's probably going to take me three turns due to a stream. Fortunately, that also means with it to my back, I've got all three objectives in the center, and all I have to do is kind of hold you in place. So engaging you in the your back is actually 
I think, great for me. Um, obviously, blinding light protecting me from the shooting, so I'm not too worried about these Avenger bolt throwers. I mean, once combat hits, yeah, I outfight you. Yes, you do have a numbers advantage. I'm not particularly concerned. How many Rangers do you say you have? I have eight Rangers, three of which have spear. Okay, so I have a lot of hurl potential here, um, and if I wanted to utilize that. Uh, you know, as far as Gladriel, she's going to be sitting in the back using her own, her might realistically just probably for, you know, heroic moves and such. I think even my basic stuff can be annoying to his heroes, uh, given that I do have fight six and fight five otherwise if, if I don't, you know, have that in the back. I mean, I don't, without going through every turn of this, which we're not going to mm-hmm. do. I mean, I think my strategy is fairly simple. Um, and I think Guahir, I don't think you're taking Guahir down through anything. I mean, having blinding light up prevents that being a pro- option. And then having the fact that he regenerates fate every single turn, I think that Guahir is just going to be this constant thorn in your side. And I will only be using his might for Hura combat. Um, if you happen to throw your heroes into me, I mean, Gladiator will be wearing you down magically starting turn one, especially when we're talking about Faramir and Hurin himself. Uh, probably won't go for your general. I'm not going to... I mean, I'll kill them because, you know, if they're in the way. But the points are not that important to me considering I own four objectives starting out in the game. So, and that's that's probably how I'd play this. So. Uh, all right, so we'll move over to Matt first. Matt, what were your thoughts? So, you know, I think this is probably going to be advantage... Well, actually... Before I ask that, when you said you were going to start on the line, Devin, um, so this board has a defined center line. There's a tree in the middle that's the center objective, and then there's going to be 12 inches to the north of that is one objective, 12 inches to the south of that is another objective. Are you creating a line that goes all the way across those three objectives, or are you concentrating around the tree? How are you doing that? Um, so there's going to be two guys who are going to have to go fetch these other two objectives. It, one could be Gua here, honestly, because he's fast enough to just move back. Uh, the other one probably just a guy will be thrown off to the side to, to go capture that object. So I probably be one man down. I'm okay with that because I'm not going to do the one man in, in the, the green dragon holding Denethor back. Cause I really don't even think that's even necessary given there's no doors. Um, so, or not many doors. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, just one person goes off. Otherwise, the rest of them is going to be in the core center of the army trying to just make it across this river and bridge. So if that makes sense, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and where were you put? You were putting the Avenger bolt throwers, both of them. Well, that, yeah, I, I'd probably, well, they're both in the same warband. Um, so I, I put them. No, they're uh, not. They're each an individual warband. Oh, yeah, they, they, oh, yeah, they have to be. Gotcha. And actually, uh, just due to the Avengers, sorry, quick correction, I'm probably not going to send Gua here to go get one of them because that'll probably give them some shooting options. I, I'm not totally made up in my mind about that or whether or not I want them to be a distraction. But that's... Um, so then, based on that, I mean, my, my, what I said was I'd put him in between the, the, the two Hobbit Hills right there, so I'll stick to that. So the, the bottom left corner, or bottom right, I should say, um, bottom right corner between those two Hobbit Hills because that seems to have the most vantage point. Um, all right um all right so i think my vote goes with devin here and i think frankly that last description is what kind of uh you know kind of sealed it for me so you have two siege weapons and they're direct fire weapons they're not volley fire weapons Mm -hmm. i think the way to play this in this scenario is you want to make sure that 
every one of the objectives is covered by fire from one of these um, bolt throwers. And which means that you want one to be kind of near the south edge of the board, um, uh, you know, covering the south objective and then probably the center objective too, and possibly, you know, the objective that's closer to you on the east edge of the board. And you could probably kind of maneuver it on top of that, that southern hobbit hole. I really think you need to have the other one deployed um, on the other side of the board where it can capture the night, the north objective, or not capture, but at least cover, and, um, you know, put some fire, you know, kind of behind the lines there. With these types of siege weapons, as long as you have the figures to cover them, and I think you do, you really want to have arcs of fire coming in from different directions so that you can't, basically, so that Devin can't hide from both of them. And he also can't stretch himself consistent with the blinding light to get both of the other objectives. I mean, basically, he's got to send the blinding light to protect one or the other of the north and south objectives. And then whichever one he doesn't go for is the one that you run up and grab. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if he starts to move the blinding light toward that one, you move away and you go for the other one. Um, And hopefully uh, you can give yourself an opportunity where you can kind of sneak in and grab one of these or the other. I mean, one of these objectives is actually going to be in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's going to be useful for you with your mounted heroes that you can just kind of ride in and uh, and grab. But I think you're going to have to play this cagey, especially because of Gwei here. You can't kind mm-hmm. of leave yourself uh, extended and um, basically plink away at Devin with your bolt throwers and try and put him in situations where he's got to extend guys by, beyond the range of blinding light. But I think that's going to be tough for you to do. Okay, so one vote for Devin. Uh, Rainier, your thoughts? Yeah, I was actually going to say the exact same thing of what, what Matt said. I think my if my Volt Venture, Avengers, uh, from your perspective, I would put one in the east, one in the west, and that would cover one, two, three, four of the objectives with shooting. And even if Guahir goes after one of them, so be it. Um, that's Guahir not wrecking your battle line for two turns. So that's what I would do as partially as a distraction for Qua here. And secondly, like just as Matt said, you can't, you can hit Devin's army wherever the blinding light is not. Because I think if you put them in the middle where you originally said you were going to put them. Well, um, he actually had them both kind of in the South. And I understand why you do that, but um, because I think he could, that's the corner that um, uh, covers more of the objectives. But that leaves the one to the north kind of completely uncovered because there's no, a, yeah, like a bridge exactly. and a tree in the way of, of that. Yeah, Whatever exactly. isn't asked by the hobbit holes themselves. Exactly. And I think, I think uh, that, that's a mistake because, and I say this because I play Corsairs a lot and they work kind of like crossbows, like the Avenger bolts. You don't want to bunch them all in one place because especially because you're playing good, he could even have, he can either have a battle line hitting your battle line and you can't shoot them into anything or he'll just put the blinding light to negate both of them or send Gua here to negate both of them. So yeah, I, I really like the split up. I would agree with, I think your, your chance to win the game, Tim, 
would be just frontline all your troops and just hit heavy as hard as you can. I think, I think that's the best option is just to go try to kill as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. And like, even if, if someone breaks, I think one thing too, is we're not, so we, the viewers don't forget Devin, your, your Denethor might go loony, loony, loony boons or whatever. So he also has the chance. Denethor has a chance to kill the guy that's guarding him or have the potential no, no, no. of Remember, popping I'm not, out of a I'm house. not guarding him anymore because the way the green dragon is structured, um, you couldn't get him out of it in one move anyway. Oh, uh, that's and good. I don't yeah. expect him to fail two courage tests in a row. So I know with, 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 well, you lose the courage bonus. So he's courage five. You do have three will, of course, but courage five, three will. I'm fine. You yeah. have to the, fail multiple times. I, see, I think the, the I other think. option you've got, um, you know, while we're on the subject of Denethor kind of hiding on his own as a green dragon is, if you look all the way to the north edge of the board, uh, Tim, there's a place where the green dragon kind of stretches out to be fairly close to the center line. Mm-hmm. And I think the way Devin's described it, he is not going to be covering that area. Mm-hmm. You could throw a warband up there and basically run them into the green dragon through, um, you know, basically having him jumping in through the windows. Once they're in the green dragon, they're completely safe from Gwaihir. Oh, well, see, the, 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 the thing is, is, I have the numbers advantage, obviously, because I think, Devin, you said you had, what, 31 33. models? 33. Okay, so I have uh, eight more models than him. Um, I have the two cavalry, which are going to be huge as well, which um, they can go out yeah. wide and, and, and go up, get there quicker, of course. Um, and I'm not saying uh, that I wouldn't consider that, but I'd have to – if he's, if he's going to bunch up in a ball, basically, then, of course, I'd go wide on him. But if he's going to spread out – then I try to over time get back there and try to get to Denethor because it's it's like you said if 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 I can get a couple guys into the Green Dragon then obviously Guahir can't get in there so then it's me fighting Denethor and even though Denethor is fight five or two attacks yeah. you know if I get enough guys in there I have a chance it's, yeah I the think, more you turn it's, this it's, into a bar fight the better mm-hmm. yeah it's twofold going after Denethor because it's not just trying to wound him you're also trying to get that objective or negate the objective have you and denethor on it so no one gets it yep. but i think i think uh to come to a conclusion on who i would vote for i think your numbers work for you really well tim um one thing to negate uh gua here what i would do is throw guys around the objective but space them out to where gua here okay. say you have four four rangers around the objective they're all six inches away gua here can kill one a turn unless he's gonna use all of his might oh, okay, gotcha. so there's that there's that that that's what i would do of course spread out the bolt avengers and i would just frontline everything and just charge and uh, with the objectives too if you do have an objective sprinkle your dudes away to where it's like gua here can't kill all of them or hurl um you're just negating gua here's special ability and worse comes a shove you just tie it and nobody gets it so um that that said uh I think if you do everything right and Devin makes makes a few mistakes, you have a fifty one percent chance of winning. But knowing Devin <laughs> knowing Devin, and I think Devin's army actually has the advantage of this. And that's just because you have the models, which is good, but he has the fight five everywhere. So even your your idea of heroic combating with Hurin and what's his face? I, I would heroic strike instead. I mean, you can heroic combat and like there goes the, the point of might and then your dude's dehorsed or even maybe Huron dies because Huron's actually pretty pretty delicate. So with with all that said, I just think you you have a chance if you with your with your with your large amount of models and you actually have a better deployment with the two Avenger bolts. 
but just Devin's army is tailored for this scenario, I feel. His army's really good within a 12-inch range, and I know he's going to do really well. Like All of the objectives are 12 inches away. His blinding light's going to be there. Gwahir can be there. The fight five elves can be there. So just because of that, and I don't think Devin's going to walk into it and like forget how to play SBG. (laughs) (laughs) Just because of that, I I, I would go for Devin. But before I I end two, I'd also want to give a shout out to Jesse Schaefer for for you trying to use some of our Philly tech, Devin. (laughs) The Heisman. (laughs) Philly special once I heard of it. The Philly special, you got to do it. The magic bird bath. Galadriel's magic bird bath. The Heisman, but yeah, but for those reasons, um, I'd probably lean towards Devin more. Like, like I, I, I would, I would consider him to win because you have to do everything right, Tim, to win this game. Yeah. You just and don't... Devin still has to make mistakes, and I think yeah. Devin's not going to make mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem is your army just doesn't have a good answer to Gwei here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, yeah, yeah, or even like the idea that you're playing a good army, and as soon as combat hits. Uh, those Avenger bolts are like basically a objective grabbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so Devin's gonna win this, but Rob, if you have quick thoughts, on yeah. So I mean, I'm not gonna go on too long because I would basically echo everything that um, the guys have already said regarding the deployment of the Avengers. Um, I agree that I just don't see you having a very good answer um, for Gwei here, especially when he's turning his Gatorade around with them. Um, and I mean, Denethor being buried in that building because you can walk away from the objective, even if he flips to Looney Tunes and you make him walk forward a little bit, it doesn't really matter. You're not getting him off the objective. Um, and because of the way that the green dragon looks like you'd have to dismount cavalry to get in there. So any knights you throw around the side to get there would just make themselves weaker to try and go after them. And so really all Devin has to do is just not suck and make any major mistakes. He can deploy in such a way to cover two objectives in the green dragon one, and frankly, even ignore the other one. And he's still going to be a leg up on you. And then if you start to push an objective, he throws the eagle over there and clears it real quick. So I think it would be a pretty uphill battle based on the terrain and the layout of the battlefield alone. Um, And that's obviously um, assuming you play a perfect game, right? Which I think that the the way the Avengers are deployed, at best, they're getting one round of shooting before they're shooting you in your back or have no targets, right? And they're not even covering an objective um, bodily at that point. So... So yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that I would probably lean Devin on this one just based on the way the the board looks and the way everybody deployed, um, and generally just echo what everyone else said. Yeah, I, I think I think you quoted it best, Rob, when you said it's an uphill battle, and all Devin has to do is not suck. Mm-hmm. So, so especially with the way the Avengers are deployed when they're bunched up now. So yeah. that, that's very helpful. <laughs> so yeah, they're all bunched up. All I have to do is snap his fingers, and the Avengers go away. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. So oh, sorry. I, I mean, the last thing I was going to say is just this is just a little one more riff on the dangers of putting particularly small siege weapons together is, um, especially when you're when you're playing against big monsters and something like you know, a Mumak. I've seen a Mumak. Uh, come onto the board in a um, 
uh, Maelstrom of Battle scenario and then just trample not one but two dwarf ballista crews uh, because there were two ballistas that were um, placed together and you know those small models are not two inches high so the Mumak can just walk right over them and just exterminate the crews of two siege weapons in one go so watch out for that <laughs> okay uh, let us know in the comment section if you agree with what everyone said that Devin would win uh, if you have any other thoughts on things you'd like for us to discuss leave that as well and any other list that you'd like us to review in the future episodes. Uh, we thank you for tuning in and have a good day. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye.